Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Divorce is one of those things where if you haven't been directly impacted by or if you're not going through a divorce at the moment, you know someone who has been through a divorce. So it's one of those things that everyone will experience the impacts of at some point, whether you've got a friend who's crashing on your lounge because they're going through a breakup, good or bad. You might be in the trenches yourself trying to navigate how to do this divorce well. While the goal isn't always to get a divorce if you go through a rough time, there are times where you categorically know and your partner might agree that we need to move on and separate. So today we are talking about divorce, money, relationships. I'm actually joined by Dominique Virgil Grant, who is a certified divorce coach, and we'll talk about that. She's a qualified and practicing financial advisor. I've known her for many years. She's got a website, Navigate Your Divorce, and a podcast by the same name. So a couple of things. I want you to listen to this if you're in a happy, healthy relationship. I still want you to listen to this episode because you might be able to send it to someone who's in your world who needs to hear this. I want you to also learn from it because the person that you marry or the person that you start dating in a couple of years' time, they're going to be a different person. We all change and usually the person you divorce isn't the person that you marry. So we're going to talk deep about divorce, money and relationships. We can't do this episode today without Global X. Global X is bringing the world of innovation to Australian investors with Beyond Ordinary Tech ETFs. From AI and robotics to the big brands you know and love, explore the possibilities at globalxetfs.com.au. AFSL 4667789. Investing involves risks and returns are not guaranteed. Refer to the relevant PDS and TMD. So let's get right into this. My name's Glenn James and you're listening to My Millennial Money. With all your experience on the divorce scene, helping couples amicably divorce and maliciously divorce, (laughs) what would be a number one tip if it was a one-minute podcast episode, what would you want to get across? Slow down. Um, All right. it's, It's the situation that people are panicked, they're overwhelmed, and even if they feel really certain about where they're headed... Just take a moment to pause, reflect. You only get one chance to get this right. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're going to get into a lot of um, detail today. Thanks for joining me, Dominique. Now, what is your kind of backstory? You're a certified divorce coach and we'll get into that, what that is. But maybe just set the scene with your own experience around divorce. Because a lot of the time when we end up doing our thing in life, particularly if it is a a client-facing thing or a, a podcast or a business, sometimes it is out of an experience, good or bad. And, you know, the divorce life, you didn't choose it, it chose you type vibe. Uh, <laughs> can you joke around this stuff? Anyway, uh, we're yeah, here now. Uh, if you knew, I'm Glenn and I'm a hack. Um, 
<laughs> so what has your story been? And I will say, uh, Dominique, she's a qualified financial advisor as well. Uh, I've known Dominique for many years and yeah, I only get people on the podcast who I trust. So thanks for that, Glenn. Look, my own divorce story was over 10 years ago. And to be fair, it was pretty mundane. There weren't much by way of assets. We didn't have any kids. And it it was, uh, I'll call it amicable because my ex didn't even get a solicitor involved on his side. But for me, it was my experience as a kid that really shaped my determination to help people put a line in the sand. My mum and my dad separated in around 1984. Um, It was actually the Christmas of 1983 going into 1984. Um, And the family law court case didn't finish until 2003. Now, along the way, there was lots of legal advice. There was lots of other people trying to influence. But the one thing that I wish that she had done was put a line in the sand. She spent a very long time fighting, hating, um, just all consumed by her divorce. She was a GP for context, a really smart, intelligent person. She had a really successful practice in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Um, But as time went on, she gave up that practice to fight. And after the court case ended in 2003, it was only a couple of years later she was diagnosed with dementia. And you can't say one led to the other, but you'd be pretty hard to convince me otherwise. All of her life had been focused on the fight. Were there significant assets, like relative to, you know, the average Australian? Yeah, my mum had tried to create this really luxury lifestyle and and, and a, a situation where she had... Um, she owned a number of properties in Sydney. She, we had there was a property in Spain and Barcelona, one in London and one in Los Angeles, as well as a farm and and a property up in Queensland as well. So, mm. there there was significant assets. She had come to the marriage with the majority of those assets, and she was the one who was working through it. So she really felt it was hers and didn't want him to get anything. Um, and she fought a, a huge battle and. Um, I always said to her, I wish that she'd written a book about it Mm. Um, because it really was a fight. My dad ended up going to Spain at the time. There was no extradition um, with Spain. Probably remember Christopher Scase um, hiding away in Spain in those early 90s periods. And so she just just felt lost and she couldn't get a resolution. And um, I remember being outside the family law court in 2003 when the judge finally decreed on how the property assets were to be settled. And the judge did eventually say all the assets were to go to her, but by that point there wasn't much left by way of assets. The house in London had been vandalised to the point that it was worth a fraction of what it should have been. My dad actually sold the house in Spain in Barcelona illegally. It was, it's, it's a really complicated, messy story and we could probably spend an hour talking about it. But for me, if she had had someone by her side to say, just stop, if you can walk away with X, what future do you actually want and what's the impact not only on you but also on your child? Let's, let's try to create an experience where divorce doesn't define you. Um, and unfortunately for her, it did. I think from, from my point of view, I, I kind of probably 
pushed a lot of that back under the surface when I became a financial planner. I didn't think, oh, I need to help people going through divorce. It was probably one of those things as, as the last thing in the world I want to get involved with. Um, mm. But as time went on, I started seeing more and more, particularly women coming into my office and they'd been separated for seven to 10 years and they'd just made some really catastrophic dis- financial decisions um, they'd rented a huge house rather than buying. They hadn't known what their rights were and they'd just signed away agreements which probably today wouldn't necessarily be signed off on by the courts. But it's about understanding their worth um, or any individual's worth going through divorce. And so I started to go, okay, this is an area where people are facing a crisis, they're facing a trauma in their life, And as an advisor with a mature advice practice, where can I add the most value? And to me, this was a genuine need out there and actually something that, although I'd ignored it for the first probably 10, 15 years of my career, was actually an area where I almost had an obligation to step back into. Mm. Yeah, I mean, lots there. Um, Did you notice, just back to mum and then we'll move on, did you notice because it was such of her identity and all the emotional energy and maybe hatred prolonged. Like she, you know, you mentioned she uh, was diagnosed with dementia, but did you notice it like a decline in her actual standard of life? Yeah, abs- uh, w- without any doubt. She used to, in the 80s, she was the well-dressed eastern suburb Sydney doctor and over time she stopped buying herself clothes, stopped going to the hairdressers, stopped caring about wearing makeup stop caring about cleaning the house. And uh, in the at the end, I couldn't have friends come over to the house because she was a hoarder. Like there was literally no path clear from the front door to the lounge room. And it was all consuming. Now we can't say it was just the divorce situation that caused that, but it certainly led her down a path which... Um, is one where I think what she could have had or what the opportunities she, she should have had for her life and she didn't have them. Mm. So if we fast forward today, uh, talk to us just briefly to position the chat uh, certified divorce coach. What is that certification and what does that involve? Yeah, absolutely. So to become a certified divorce coach, it's an international standard. Um, It's run out of the United States. In the United States, divorce coaching is actually a recognised part of the legal framework by the law society over there. Um, And really the focus of being a divorce coach is to help people be credible clients at the end of the day help them be better clients to their lawyers, help them to represent themselves better in mediations and to help them be a credible client if they turn up in court. The process for becoming a certified divorce coach was actually far more in-depth and complicated than I probably bargained for. It was a solid four months plus of study at eight to 10 hours a week, lots of mentoring, lots of peer sessions and amazing experts twice a week, two and a quarter hour um, education sessions on individual topics. And to be fair, I've been working in divorce for a long time, but I don't think I actually realised that there's this whole other spectrum Mm. Um, and the divorce coaching does 
cover that. And it really is designed to make divorce a better experience for the individual going through it. So, you know, Certified Divorce Coach, we've labelled it that there is an actual divorce happening. And I think what I'm getting at is during the process, can things be resolved? Or maybe when does someone call you? Is it, I'm in a relationship now, I've, I'm pretty sure I've checked out for a variety of reasons. We've grown apart. I, th- I know there's been infidelity. I know that there's been some type of abuse, whatever that looks yep. like, complex stuff. Do you, does someone call you and say, hey, I think there needs to be a separation. There needs to be a divorce. I want to a divorce. Can you help me navigate? Or are we calling you crap, I've just moved out of the family home. I've hit the big broken the glass for emergencies. So where do you come into this? Look, ideally, the sooner the better. Um, Around 30 to 40% of people who get in contact are still in the thinking it through stage. So one of the one of the the tools that we have is helping people actually think through the pros, the cons, the consequences, long term what does staying in the relationship look like and long term what does moving on from the relationship look like. Being a divorce coach is certainly not about advocating divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about helping people if they are contacting at that early stage to to help them think through all the consequences, help them prepare Um, We often talk in divorce coaching about the stages of divorce. Um, And if you have what is arguably first mover advantage and you're the one who's got all this time to process all these decisions, gather all the financial information, prepare yourself for the exit, you're actually going to be in a fairly good position moving forward. But also recognising the fact that when you do break that news and you do decide to smash smash the glass, recognising that your ex is in a completely different position. They're in shock, they're in overwhelm, they feel abandoned. And how you teaching that individual how to communicate with someone who's in a completely different part of the divorce cycle is a really critical step to making to reducing conflict at the start. But for most people, it is when they are, it's, it might be a referral from a family lawyer. It could be that someone's just happened across the website and they're searching divorce help and they suddenly realise that there are divorce coaches out there who can assist them. Wherever you are in the process, a divorce coach has got the tools. I've just started working with a client who's actually, they've put the financial agreement in place. Um, the, we're just waiting for the court to sign off on it, but she's actually got got in contact with me so that we can now start to build a plan for what her future life actually looks like because she doesn't necessarily have to live in the suburb that she's living in. Her She's got adult kids. She's got an infinite number of choices and she really needs a sounding board and a thinking partner to help her assess each of those choices, but also I help her identify where the risks are in decisions that she can't turn back. Yeah, because I often find, uh, particularly with working with lawyers, hello to all our law friends listening, uh, it can be quite clinical and it's like these are the facts, A, B equals C, see you later, where you may step in and bring a bit more of the nuance and life to it. Like, am I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, hey, 
give them an extra hundred grand to get rid of them <laughs> and get on with your life. Like, trust me, it'll be worth it. <laughs> like stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think probably taking a step back from that, it's about the roles of each specialist in a divorce. Your solicitor is there to give you legal advice. And as a divorce coach, I will never give someone legal advice. They need to see a solicitor and seek professional legal advice. But what the solicitors aren't trained to do, and they are, every solicitor I've spoken to in this space says this, a lot of the time they end up burnt out because they're trying to do their job, but they've got the client on the phone who's sharing the latest email from the ex or sharing their latest stress point. And actually that sharing can happen with the divorce coach to help you work through, okay, what was that communication you just received from the ex? Let's break that down into facts. Let's be make, make sure that if we, you're responding, we respond with empathy, with attention and with respect, as hard as that is to do. But your divorce coach can help you through some of those aspects The other thing is when you turn up to a solicitor, the thing that they hate is an unprepared client, a client who hasn't got their financial information together. And we know that a solicitor's hourly rate is going to be far more than what a divorce coach's hourly rate is. So making sure you're leaning on the right professional at the right time. And one of the key things I do with clients, as does every divorce um, coaches help clients prepare the right questions that they need to have answered by their legal professional. So it makes a, a cleaner, more succinct engagement with the lawyer. And trust me, they appreciate it. Having a client who isn't bringing emotion to the table. Mm. So I'm just like kind of doing this also as a PSA, like if there is someone listening who knows that they're in a relationship, kids or not, and they've resolved that they need to uncouple or as Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow said, (laughs) conscious uncoupling. Um, It it sounds to me like you are a really good third-party sounding board to have a first initial chat with. Absolutely. Because at least it's like, look, yeah, in your situation, generally this would be the process because I'm big on like, and we're all different. I'm a practical thinker. I, I need to know the actual process. Like, I think I've checked out. Do I go and tell my partner, hey, peace out, I'm out of here? Or do I get ducks in a row? Because you're going to potentially ask about the reaction and the response to that news with the other person. I don't know. It's just, it's so bloody complex. It is really complex. And in, in that particular situation, it's talking the client through, okay, what's led to these decisions, going through the pros and cons of the decisions then made that they are going to move forward and separate. It's about understanding the the expected behaviour of the ex and how, what is the right way to communicate this and what are the right words to use. And we do role play that to make it a little bit easier for the client when they actually go to do it. We can't role play every scenario, but if they've practised they're prepared and and it just makes that conversation more thought through and um, allows them to articulate their position more clearly. And depending upon the relationship dynamics, it's often a case that where one part, the person who is saying I'm leaving is worried the other person's going to turn around and try and talk them out of it and they don't have the strength to stand up for themselves. So giving them the tools to be able to do that is really, really empowering. But as you also said, the process, 
we hope clients don't even get divorced once, let alone twice. And this is something that I see day in, day out, and we know what the process is. We know what the options are. We know the what you're going to face next. And to have a divorce coach who can explain what that process is can help you identify the right type of lawyer for you. There are lawyers out there who will always end up in court and there are lawyers out there who will always look for um, a collaborative law solution. So, and there's other options that you can engage with that don't even involve lawyers now in Australia. So I think it's really important to understand that there is, in that first instance, there is a huge amount of guidance that a divorce coach can provide. Mm. So I'm all about, you know, trying to help people as much as possible with this podcast. Let's do a, a just a, a really brief example. Let's pretend for a moment that you and I, we, we've been together for 10 years, for example. Mm. Probably be 10 years of hell, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and yes. like it, it started good and all that. And then so I've now disengaged with the relationship. Um, I'm not responsive, I'm doing my own thing, I might be being a bit reckless with the household finances, I don't care, and we'll assume there's a, a couple of kids, I'm basically a, a dead weight in life. And yeah. you, Dominique, you might be a listener of this podcast and you've got intention, you want to do the best that you can do with the money that you've got, with the lifestyle, you've got awesome life and career goals. Yeah. But I'm dragging this dead weight who's not engaged. I kind of love this person. Five years ago, it was awesome, but now they're a different person. We're going in different directions. We're growing apart. It's clear that this person- Really common, yeah. uh, Yeah, and, you know, we've all had these stories. What would you say to me? Would you position it, hey, Glenn- I've got some serious things that I need to just talk to you about. Just give us an example of how you would start that conversation because I know couples where there isn't much actual communication and there hasn't actually been for many years there. So how would you go about letting me know that something has to change because if it doesn't, things don't change? So the first thing is what's the reaction likely to be? Um, If there's any chance that it's likely to be aggressive or violence involved, um, I would engage the use of a counsellor and say, look, let's go to counselling. This is important to me. If you want to fight for this relationship, let's go there. Um, So at least you're in a safe place to do it. Yeah, we'll assume that that there's no But if there's there's no risk there, then it's really about ripping the Band-Aid off, Um, particularly if communication has actually been really poor. It's about making it very clear that you have considered, you have taken your time and you see no other path forward other than to separate and get divorced, that you're willing to talk about the things that have led to that decision, but your decision is actually made. Mm. And a question, if there was a relationship where, you know, what we've just talked about and you've categorically resolved that this is ridiculous. It's been, people say they change and they don't. Like the use of ultimatums like, hey, I want to have a really fulfilling life with a life mate, with someone. Like you're the father of our kids. We need to take this seriously or 
I'm, I'm getting on with my life. Like, do you say, are you willing to go to counseling and change or are you okay? Are you depressed? Like what's, I don't know. It's just so nuanced, isn't it? That's the problem. It is. And I think that often what happens is the person that you marry isn't the person that you end up with five or 10 years later, For sometimes for good, sometimes for worse. But what is really important is to be able to take a step back, identify if you've definitely made the decision. If you have, there's no point suggesting counselling because you're just yeah. actually going to lead the other person on and you're right. going to give them false hope. And that will lead to a more high-conflict divorce. If you're still unsure in any way, utilisation or suggesting counselling, suggesting that they change, suggesting that they suddenly become engaged in, act, in an activity that they've never been involved in before and they take those steps and you, you're willing to give them hope, that's fine. But don't falsely give somebody hope because it will lead to a far more high-conflict divorce. Mm. And I think I just want to pause there and say to everyone, like, this is so nuanced and mm. it's like when we talk about money and investing and that, yeah. like, just don't go and do something because you heard Glenn and Dominique oh, talk about it. Absolutely. Um, these are just some examples and some scenarios um, that depending on the situation. And yeah. and it's funny, Dominique, like a lot of the time we as people know deep down, like deep down I know I've checked out and I've actually got to move it. I've talked to my life-giving friends and they can go, what are you doing? He's not responsive or she's this or that. And I think it is that getting someone like you who is a third party who – doesn't know either. Yep. And and that's that's also a problem as well, right? Like there's always three sides to a story. And that leads me to my next question. Like in a perfect scenario, and it is amicable, and we've got mutual friends, and I'll 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 say Fraser, who's been on the podcast before, um, he shared his story and it was very amicable. Yep. Like there are situations where you would hope maybe both of them would go to a a divorce coach to say, yep. how do we unscramble this egg methodically without huge legal fees? And my actual question is, can you quote unquote represent both or yep. is it like a legal system where we can't? So if a divorce coach takes on both clients, it's they're taking on both clients from the start. Um, otherwise, from my point of view, maybe there may be other divorce coaches that, that do things differently, but normally the decisions made as a couple together, we're going to go see a divorce coach. We're going to have that divorce coach help us understand where we're at. We're going to have, have that divorce coach help us work through and identify what's important to us in a co-parenting plan and help us identify if there's any legal issues that we need some good legal advice around or good financial advice around. So um, it's from the beginning. I feel that if I had one client come into my office and say, oh, now I want to bring my partner in, I would like to say that I wouldn't be influenced by already starting with one person, but I do believe that there's an unfair advantage that one party would get. Um, so if you have a really amicable situation, this is where collaborative law, which is beginning to boom in Australia, is really exciting is the ability to go to a divorce coach or people that are collaborative law specialists um, and to go, this is our situation, help us actually get this sorted out. Um, things often can seem amicable at the start, but it, invariably sometimes things do crop up where one person is 
very, very determined to get a particular thing and there may be no rationale around it or it may look like it's amicable but there's a, a relationship inequality where one person is actually not necessarily getting the right outcome for them as well. And then we hope that there is more and more amicable divorce. The divorce courts don't want to see people end up going through the court system. It's an inefficient system. It's a very lengthy process. And if there's one thing I know for certain, it's the longer your divorce takes to sort out, the worse your relationship is going to be with your ex on the other side. And the more it will actually cost. Oh, undoubtedly. (laughs) I've recently been through a legal thing myself and I, I had to pay a lawyer to represent me and, you know, we we settled and the legal fee and all this stuff, I'm like, hang on, the lawyer just won here. It's just, yeah. oh, man, it's wild. And, look, this is the, the other Love thing. Love you, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the other thing. Often I'll have clients come to me and they go, this, this is what I want, this is I'm not giving in on this. This is, this is, it's my way or the highway is, is, is kind of how we categorize it. But actually one of the things a divorce coach can do is help people identify what they're willing to negotiate on. You may go, look, I'm not willing to budge, but my challenge to you would be actually engage a divorce coach because not budging doesn't change the end result at the far end. It just prolongs the conflict. And the same thing is when clients feel like they're just going to give in, they're just going to give their ex exactly what they want. Please, and I've, I've seen this far too many times, please make sure that you use someone as a sounding board, whether it's a divorce coach or somebody else to really step you through um, an understanding as to what your legal rights are. At least have a conversation with a lawyer, if not a divorce coach. Because yeah, then you can make that decision. It's like legally... I'm entitled to X. However, I'm making a considered decision for the greater moving along and all that, that I will be happy with Y. Yeah. And look, that's one of the things as a specialist financial planner that deals in divorce is working out the client's emotional walk away number. Mm. And once we've worked out what, because the solicitor invariably goes, here's the range that you could possibly end up with, or your ex has come to you with a proposal but you don't actually know what that proposal means. And if we can actually put it in black and white and show you, well, if you end up with this, this is what your future life actually looks like. And you can still do, you can still go on holiday and you can still do um, your additional studies, the MBA that you wanted to do, and you can still retire when you plan to retire. That gets rid of a lot of the emotion tied up in a financial settlement. And it's one of the most powerful tools that I use um, in conjunction with the divorce coaching. Mm, yeah, it's wild. I've got lots of fun stories that I can't share because people know me and my networks and all that. So we'll move along. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. We will take a break and then we're going to come back and just answer a heap of kind of practical questions. So stick around, everyone. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so when we are talking about lawyer... What type of lawyer should I choose or what documents do I need? How do we start that formal process when we know that I don't think this can be resolved with a third party who isn't a lawyer just to kind of go, yeah, we all agree to this. Let's ratify it and move on. So if you want to go down the law road, what do we do? So the first thing to understand is the type of lawyer that you want. Um, If you know you're going to be in the ring fighting this out, you are going to want a bit of a pit bull to actually stand up for you, be your advocate and be very, very firm and quick with their responses and communication. And potentially if you think it's going to end up in court, despite your best efforts not to, um, and the intention should always be your best effort should be not to end up in court, um, is having someone who can take you all the way through. But for the majority of people, they want a lawyer who is going to be able to help them successfully get to a financial settlement and can use the right legal words and and be there as their legal representative. And I guess the other thing is what role do you want your lawyer to play? What role do you expect your lawyer to play? One of the biggest complaints I see is my lawyer isn't communicating back with me. I think my lawyer is useless. And often when I talk with the lawyer um, involved and lawyers in general, they will say, well, actually, I've been really clear when I onboarded this client that I will communicate with them when there's something to actually do. Um, And if there isn't something to do because I'm looking after all of these cases, then I'm not going to be in communication because we're waiting for something to come back or we're waiting for the other side to communicate. So I think people's expectations of their lawyers is too high. And I think it's also about being really clear about what role you want your lawyer to perform in your divorce. And I think divorce is an incredibly emotional thing and there's always tears and laughter and all the screaming and anger which happen in divorce coaching sessions. And I really, really ask my clients to open up as much as they can because I am there as their trusted sounding board. But at the end of the day, divorce is a business transaction. And so we have to get through the emotion and we have to get to a point where we go, okay, 
Who is the legal representative that I need to get this business transaction done? Sounds really clinical, but sometimes we have to almost separate ourselves from that process. So you were saying uh, when you talk to lawyers, sometimes if a client engaged you to be their coach through this process, uh, would you factor in time to be at um, meetings with them just so you're at least hearing? And Because it is overwhelming. Like you go to a lawyer and they might say all this stuff. At least when you're there, you can be like, at the end of the meeting, yeah, here are the headlines. It's all good. So you can kind of be a bit of a linchpin and support. The way I would put it as an analogy is you're sitting in the emergency ward at the, at the hospital and the doctor's telling you what's wrong with you. You actually need an advocate there to actually absorb that information, take notes so that you can actually clearly think about it later. Now, not every lawyer is open to having divorce coaches be at the meeting and I'm certainly not there to intervene or be providing any legal input at all. Um, But the reason that it's important for some clients, it's not for everyone, but for some clients, maybe it's just one of the meetings Mm. that's attended is just so the client doesn't have to repeat that meeting with the lawyer and has a sounding board to actually discuss that and make sure that their interpretation of what the lawyer said was correct. And if there's any question, we can really clearly then construct an email back to the lawyer to say, this is what we understand from this meeting. Yeah, um, cool. And it just helps de-stress and get rid of overwhelm. Normally, in my capacity as a financial advisor, the lawyers are quite keen to have me involved. So there is a balancing act um, mm. in there as well. Now, we all hear about uh, BFAs binding financial agreements or quote-unquote prenups. Yeah. Uh, in practice, do they actually make the separation faster and cleaner? I actually really love binding financial agreements. Um, mm. There are probably too few lawyers that are willing to put their names to them because there's quite a lot of legal risk that they take on in allowing clients to sign these documents. For me, and and I've certainly done this with couples where they have been on the brink of divorce, but actually the linchpin was that one of the parties was concerned about what they would walk away with and she had a fear that the partner was going to leave. But actually that was not the case at all. And by putting in place a binding financial agreement, they were already married, but by putting one in place, she then had confidence about that if he ever did leave, and he hasn't 10 years later, but if he ever did leave that she would know what she was going to walk away with. So sometimes there's an uncertainty there that can be muted with a um, financially binding agreement. But if there is one in place and it's legally upheld, it does make for a lot more certainty in the, in the separation and it's a lot quicker. Everybody knows what page they're on. I certainly, I'm in a relationship at the moment and we're currently working through our financially binding agreement as we enter into a new relationship because I want to protect my assets, he wants to protect his, and we want to know exactly where we're standing. So there's also a lot of work being done with people who are newly engaged and I've started doing some work in that space as well where a newly engaged couple, they're suddenly combining their finances for the first time in some cases and going, okay, well, if something goes terribly wrong here, what's our get out of jail plan? It's a bit like when you enter a business, you should always have an exit strategy. So really valuable. They need to be reviewed because assets do change and inequalities can happen over time. Um, But fundamentally a fantastic tool. 
There was a question here, and I won't read the people's names asking these questions, but there was a question here. Um, BFAs have to be updated every two years. Like, is that true? And how do you keep them up to date easily? Or is that some type of myth, urban legend? I, I personally wouldn't want to give legal advice as to whether yeah. they do or they don't. And it's undoubtedly different in different states and territories. What I would say is that it would be healthy and wise to actually look at your binding financial agreement. The same as you should look at your will and your your estate planning every couple of years. Is it still relevant? Does it still represent what it is that you want from the relationship? Um, One of you might have just been on maternity leave and had a big hit to your superannuation, for instance, Mm. Um, or one of you may have received a significant inheritance. That's going to have a huge impact on what the consequences are of that financially binding agreement. So I don't know if it's legally required, but I certainly believe that it should be looked at. Uh, There's a question here. I'm going through a divorce at the moment. Can the ex get money after settlement? Okay. So to pull this apart, divorce and financial separation are two very different things. Um, I would normally, as as most lawyers I speak to, would encourage if we can get a financial um, separation sorted quickly, then we absolutely should. We shouldn't have to wait for the divorce. But if you do get divorced, you have to start the financial settlement process within 12 months of that divorce going through. Um, but once you've agreed, there's normally a time frame under which the money has to be transferred, such as superannuation or sales of property and those sorts of things. Mm. There's a question here about the family home and far out. I've heard a story where this couple was uh, literally separated and they were both obviously had some interesting legal advice, but they were both still sharing the same bed, even though they were completely like hectic, right? Um, So do we sell the family home? Do we keep it? Does one move out? Does one move in? I mean, it's all obviously circumstantial. And if there's kids, you don't want to instantly uproot. Um, Mm. But yeah, what's your anecdotal experience been? Yeah, so I think if, if there's no um, domestic violence issues in, in, in the household, normally what you'll find is solicitors will advise their clients to stay in the family home until the financial separation is sorted. The key reason for it, and I see this time and time again, is the person who's left in the family home is not really motivated to get the finances sorted. It's the other person who's out renting outside of the family home who perhaps wants that cash to buy something. So it's about keeping both parties motivated. And if you can live under the same roof, most lawyers, in my experience, would agree that that's a good way to go, particularly if there are kids involved. Um, The other alternative that I've seen is what people call nesting, where people keep the family home and maybe it's agreed they keep the family home for the period until the separation's sorted or until the kids reach a certain age. And if it's a week on, week off with the kids, um, each party comes into the home and the the kids don't actually move. Um, You need a really good, healthy relationship with your I was going to say that one. Yeah. It normally starts off well, but it often causes issues, particularly once one party begins to start dating and and meet other partners. Mm. So there do need to be some good ground rules actually set around that. 
So um, in relation to whether or not you should keep the family home, I think this is where we need to get realistic. I have lots of people come to me both as a financial planner and as a divorce coach and go, I want to keep the family home. It's really important to assess the reasons why. Um, or I've had another situation, I'll, I'll do the reverse. Uh, the husband's come to me and says, I, I want to sell the family home. I want her to keep it. I don't want to keep it at all. She can't afford to keep it, so we're just going to sell it because I don't. And what it came down to is he didn't want to be perceived as kicking his ex out of the house by the society around him. And actually, once we talked through it, that was probably irrelevant when, one, his spouse was going to end up with more than enough money out of the financial settlement for her to be able to buy a new property. She didn't want to stay in that property and the kids would have some level of continuity by keeping that property. And he actually built it. So he loved every single corner of it. So just sometimes that initial reaction isn't the right one. And obviously finances also form a part of it as well. So another thing, I guess, if you step in, if there is someone who, you know, a lot of your clients end up being financial advice clients, Mm. like how do you work with someone who has come out of a divorce? They may be cashed up, kids or not. Like, do you kind of say, look, why don't you just rent somewhere for a year and get into a new norm and then we can put some type of strategy together What does it look like after a settlement? And I think this comes back to my first point, just press pause and slow down a little bit. Mm. That first year after the decision to separate has been made, it's really clear that that year is going to be a year of chaos, even if it was your choice. The second year is about trying to different options, different opportunities, but not really committing to anything long-term. When we live in Australia, a country where stamp duty, for instance, and, and buying a property is so high, yes, you might miss property growth for a year, but to make that decision incorrectly and have to sell and buy again, there's such huge transaction costs. Um, it takes really until the third year for most clients before they can, they've tried enough things. Perhaps there's been a change of career, which often happens in light of divorce. Perhaps you can move to a different location. Um, there's so many opportunities that are suddenly on the table. Um, I did in my Facebook group recently a question of what are the things that you can now do that you couldn't do when you were married and just so many responses because there are options, the options to study, the options to travel, the options to suddenly you don't have the kids 24-7. So you get to redefine who you actually are. And in a relationship, um, there's always a level of compromise and you do lose a little bit of yourself through that. And in a healthy relationship, that makes you a better person. But as a relationship deteriorates, Often what happens is an individual's self-worth deteriorates, confidence deteriorates, and there needs to be a recovery period. So, yes, it isn't about going, let's jump in and get the solution straight away, but let's look at all the possible options. What needs to be explored? And what are the financial consequences if you decide to quit your job and decide to go back and study and do something completely different? How does that work? It's bringing those two things together. But that's one of the reasons I say just take it slow. There's no prize for getting across the finish line first. So it's like take it slow but not 
too slow. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a balance. There is a balance. And, and look, but, but, it, but it, it goes back to some decisions have to just happen. Mm-hmm. So there are things like don't mess around. Like you got to get these wheels in motion because you have categorically resolved it. Yes. But on the building the life going forward and some of these big decisions, like as you exactly said, like don't just run out, oh, I need to buy another house where oh, I could probably rent, rediscover who I am and I might feel that I want to just buy a, an apartment and live a different life because yep. the kids are getting older and I don't know, yeah, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? I've got a client because of remote work these days who is going around and staying in different locations and airbnb for four to five week stints to really just assess where she wants to be and what the options actually are when you live in a community. So if you see someone and they've kind of, you know, the divorce process is going on, they've been separated for some years, for example, and there is a new partner on the scene. Mm -hmm. What are some examples of um, what you've experienced with some of your clients of introducing that new partner to the ex, if there is kids involved? Like, are there ways to manage that process well? It's actually a discussion that needs to happen um, and things, the, the last place you want to find out that your ex has got a new partner is through your kids. Mm. And that's about having a healthy respect for your ex. And, and at some point you have to start calling them your ex and actually have to start calling them your co-parent um, and changing that word, changing that terminology. Your baby daddy or baby mummy. <laughs> well, you could use those words, Glenn. I'm going to choose not to. Um, but but it's, it's really about understanding that you're now co-parenting with this person. Mm. Now, I've seen plenty of examples where one party remains quite irrational. Um, I've seen the, the, the texts and the email ex- that the clients share with me and we, we're having to work through and go, okay, Let's look, obviously there's an immediate emotional reaction of my client to this, but it's about please don't respond straight away. Let's talk it through. Let's break this down. It's the same in life. If you want to shoot back an email firing back at someone, we all know that that doesn't work particularly well. Yeah, I've made a rule in my life. I get an email late at night and it sends me into orbit. I'm like, I'm not replying till the morning or till after lunch the next day. (laughs) Yeah. And look, in some cases we do have to suggest with couples that they use, there are some fantastic apps out there. So communication happens through the app only. Um, Solicitors can get copies of that. Um, And also it stops um, any abuse being thrown either direction. And there's shared photos and shared calendars and all of that stuff. But to get back to the question around how to introduce a new partner, it's again, Take your time. Don't introduce the first person that you meet um, because you're super excited. And and remember, a lot of uh, people going through divorce, you haven't been through that giddy process of a new relationship for a really, really long time. There's lots of endorphins and irrational decisions that get made at the start. We're perfect. I'm in love finally. This is absolute euphoria. But often that isn't necessarily the relationship that's going to last. And it's about really deciding, do you want, is this person that is 
now in your life, someone who is going to be a good influence on your kids if you have kids and really making sure that you're certain that they're going to be in your life for the long term. So it might be that you date someone for six months before they even vaguely meet your kids, and that's completely okay. Um, and if and it's about having the conversation with the person that you're dating that you really want to be sure before you introduce um, because you've kind of passed that euphoria stage, hopefully still slightly euphoric in your new relationship, but you're past kind of that, that, that um, infatuation stage. Mm. So you're more likely to be making more rational decisions. Now, when it comes to telling the ex, if you communicate in a civil, empathetic way and say, look, I've met someone, you can give them the option to meet the new partner, but more often than not, I tend to find that the co-parent doesn't necessarily want to meet the new person. And I've also heard the other way, well, um, they don't get to meet all of your exes, so why do you want to meet my ex? So there's Well, I think the the difference is that person's going to be probably around your children at some point, which is another, you know, landmine of issues. It is. And again, I think it's about setting expectations with whoever that new partner is. Are you looking for someone to be a part-time mum or are you after someone who's actually going to be a cool auntie? Um, I hope I'm the cool auntie with my partner's kids. Um, But again, we took our time before um, I met them because I wanted to be sure, he wanted to be sure. There's a question about um, separating finances, but before I get onto that one, uh, when you have a co-parent or a baby daddy or a baby mummy and you have separated uh, and there are joint expenses, like I I told someone in my life this the other day, it's like freaking sell the house, get them out of your life, just start again and all that stuff. But would you have a maybe still one joint transactional account that we put money into just for the kids' benefit? And this is probably outside of um, any mandated child support, uh, but this might be a decision that, yeah, we're we've both agreed it's it's outside of child support, but we both think private schooling is something that we both want to contribute to, and some extracurricular activities that both parents want to pay. Like, have you seen a joint account? I have seen a joint account. Um, to be fair, a lot of these issues are normally worked through in the divorce coaching and then put into the legal framework of any sure. agreements, yep. particularly with things like private school, because that's a, a huge financial commitment. But you, it's about being in a position where things can be paid for and the kids shouldn't ever have to feel like one parent can't afford to do something Um, can't afford to send them to the right school or can't afford the same thing. So if there is an equalisation, great. I've certainly seen couples, not a divorced couple, but a couple where they actually financially independent, but anything to do with the kid, they put the money into a joint account and all the expenses relating to that kid come out of that joint account. So they both feel like they're contributing, they do it proportionately based upon their income and that just creates a really... Um, healthy environment for them as a couple. Um, Long-term, having a joint account with your ex is probably, I would need to talk to a lawyer, but I would suggest they probably wouldn't encourage that past the financial separation. Interesting. Mm. There you go. When separating finances, what's considered? So like different wages, um, different 
amount of time worked? And then another question was, how do they determine the financial split? Can we do a, a small hypothetical case study? Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. we'll assume there is a house worth, I'm writing this down, 600K, there's a 300 grand mortgage on it. So we know that there's 300 grand of meat in the house. Uh, we'll assume, this person said no kids, but we'll assume there's two kids. Uh, we'll assume that, you know, it's so heteronormative, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> mum took a few years off um, to be with the kids and she wanted to do that. And dad was still working full time. The husband's uh, super balance, we'll just say he's 200. The wife's super balance, he's 80K. Uh, there's two cars that they own worth 10 grand each. Uh, and I don't know, there's 10 grand in a bank account. So in an amicable way, because it's easy to do hypotheticals when it's amicable. <laughs> Very. Although I've had experiences where it, the amicableness is depending on what day that the partner is called. <laughs> Well, there is that. So that's, so that's where it kind of becomes that intermittent conflict yeah. um, style of divorce as opposed to an amicable, that intermittent conflict um, category. But, look, I think in, in this particular case, the first question that the, the you really need to go back to is how long has the relationship been going on for? Um, in we'll, Australia, assume, we'll assume 10 years yep. and the kids are three and five. So, again, I'm not here to provide legal advice. But, and I don't want you to. <laughs> but, the, but the key thing here is when we look at this, it's about saying and recognising and understanding that all of this is in the marital pool. Um, the superannuation, the equity in the home, the bank account, the cars, it's all in. The only exception to this would be if there's perhaps a loan agreement, maybe one of the parents gave them 100 grand as a deposit. Was it a gift or was there a loan? Mm. So that would be the only thing that we really need to go looking for is how did that equity form? Did they save that money together? Where did it come from? This is clearly a long-term relationship at 10 years, the thresholds anything over nine in the Australian Family Law Courts and it's earlier if there are kids involved. Yeah, cool, so cool. depending upon the work situation of each of the, the mum and the dad at this point in time, most people looking at this scenario would be starting at a 50-50 point. And that's really about equalising and saying they've both economically contributed to the relationship. Um, the mum being off work, and this is one of the biggest myths out there, and I say it all the time is, oh, I've just been a stay-at-home wife. I haven't contributed. Yeah, it's but the biggest myth. <laughs> but your partner would not have been able to earn what they did without you doing what you did. Yeah. So understanding your worth in the relationship, for most people, and in this case, you're 50% of this. Now, your lawyer in, would have to delve into the details and may, may say it's a different percentage. But if this is your scenario, you'd be starting with a I'm 50% of this relationship and I'm 50% of the marital assets. Um, now, you might be happy to walk away with less than that. 
you might feel the need to have more than that if your salary was significantly lower than your spouse's. But there is a balance in here. Okay, question. Have you seen it when, so there's a, an imbalance of, say, 180 grand in the super, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, sorry, 120 grand in mm-hmm. super and there's 300 grand meat and, you know, in two years' time, the three-year-old's in school yep. and mum is going back to work. She's an executive and she might start and probably out-earn old mate anyway, but she's just yeah. like, no, I'm being a mum for a few years, whatever. Has there been the scenarios where we've said, look, you keep your money in super and I'll keep the money outside? Absolutely. And that's so one it of can the biggest be negotiated. Yeah, yeah, completely. So that's one of the biggest questions we go through with clients is helping them from a divorce coaching hat. What things are important to you? Is buying a new home really important or is having a secure retirement important? Then putting the financial planning hat on and going, okay, what financially is actually going to work? Um, often it's the case, and I've certainly done that with my financial planning hat on going, we actually want X amount in super and we're happy to take a little bit more over here and a little bit less outside of superannuation. Or sometimes it's the other way around. But normally the, we start with a 50-50 down the middle, then we have to work out which assets are going in which direction. Um, in this particular case, if the wife is pretty confident that once she's back in the workforce, she's going to be able to earn really, really good money, consistent cash flow. She might be really confident that she is going to be able to purchase her own home with her own savings in the long term, but she knows her superannuation balance just isn't going to get there with where it is. So just getting a little bit more in her super today just gives her that long-term financial security that it'll be okay. And it could actually be a strategy um, to appease the whole bird in the hand. It's like, well, just split, give me 150 grand out of your super. So he walks yep. away with 50 grand in super. The other partner's got 150 grand nested long-term yep. for the sake of at least I got it out of them and I know I can build up and, you know, they got to keep the house or whatever. Um, so there is strategy based on the temperament of the person and the volatility. Absolutely. And, and people see the dollar in their hand as being more valuable than the dollar locked away in superannuation. Yeah. Um, Which we know the opposite is true, but that doesn't help you today if you need to live somewhere. Correct. Gosh, it's uh, it's wild. Um, there was a question about protecting your assets and someone's like, can you hide assets? I've seen like... For example, if you're going through a messy breakup and there's a joint bank account and you're like, oh, I'm just taking 10 grand out and spending it, quote unquote, that could be deemed and clawed back, couldn't it? It absolutely can. I actually had a situation with one of my friends. They separated. They had $50,000 in a joint bank account. And I said to her, please, whatever you do, call the bank and make it both must sign right now. No, 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 no. He won't do anything. I literally marched her down to the bank and said, you're going in there and you're changing this right now. The next day, the bank hadn't processed the forms correctly. Um, and in time to lock the account down, he actually withdrew that full $50,000 back into his personal account. Because she'd already signed the forms at the bank branch, though, that was the bank's problem, not her problem. Wow. So the bank then went after him to 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 get the money back. So um, even if you think it's amicable, anything that is in a joint account, it's a joint account until you 
basically force it to be both must sign before anything can be done here. And it's one of my first recommendations is set up your own bank account so that you can actually have your pay transferred into there. And if you've still got a mortgage with your ex or still paying rent with your ex, agree what still goes into the joint account so things can still be going in and out of it. But that's once you've made the decision, you've separated, that's when you need to start separating out your own income as well. Yeah. And for everyone, like we've kind of just assumed that everything's been somewhat amicable. Uh, I'm actually organising a podcast with someone in the financial abuse space to actually talk about exit strategies to do it safely because there's actually, I've just watched a show, you may have seen it, it's called The Twelve. Um, and it's an Aussie drama with Sam Neill and uh, Brooke Satchwell and, and others. And it's it's fantastic. And I think he won the Logie for it. But one of the characters in that, um, they kind of, it was a jury of 12 people and, you know, procedural court drama. And they were showing you the lives of the different jurors, how like makes up society and all that. And one of the characters um, was victim to DV um, oh, and emotional abuse, gaslighting, all that. And it was just, I, I borderline couldn't watch it because for some reason I am ultra sensitive to that. I don't know what it is, um, but it just, it's really, 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 really unsettling to me that whole being trapped in there with kids and there is emotional abuse and financial abuse and all that stuff. Yeah, financial abuse is incredibly common in relationships. I've got all the assets. You can't afford to pay for a lawyer. Um, You can get interim orders to get access to cash, which a lot of people don't necessarily realise. But it's so volatile because if they're not safe, even if they're provoked. Yeah, it's an incredibly dangerous situation, both from an emotional point of view and a potentially physical point of view as well. Um, Financial abuse is far more common than what people openly talk about. Mm. And often when we sit back and we debrief a relationship, we actually start to uncover the areas of control that the clients weren't necessarily aware that existed, particularly where we knew that there was some level of abuse in the Mm. relationship. So I'm a big kind of advocate now for like an emergency fund. So if the household, we did share money and whatnot, and there's an emergency fund of say $20,000, that we have two separate bank accounts in their own name. Yeah, I love that idea. We just each have a $10,000 emergency fund in our own name. Uh, you could probably sell it easier. Like if something happens to either of us, you know, I think it might be easier mm-hmm. to sell it if you're in a relationship with someone who's a absolute dickhead and a, an abuser and all that. Um, but, yeah, that's it's just, I don't know. And that's why I just want to dedicate a whole other episode with someone in that total space because I want to be able to have people to know what the red flags are earlier on um, so they can at least put in a bit of a hedge even in case it wasn't a red flag. Um, But if it was, we did something a couple of years ago that could protect me kind of without them knowing because usually that type of personality is not listening to my podcast. And if you are, piss off, I don't care about you. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, Look, the big organisations out there do fantastic stuff, whether it's your Worse and Coles or your big banks have got a lot of stuff behind the scenes for de- um, domestic violence and financial abuse. Uh, most people don't know about it, so it's great that you're doing a podcast focused in on that. 
Mm. So, look, we might kind of leave it there. We have covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that we may have missed that you want to end with? And then we might talk about how people can get in touch and a bit of a, you know, shout out and all that stuff. Look, I think the most important thing to know if you're thinking about divorce, going through divorce, feeling uncertain, overwhelmed, is that there is an entire profession out there called divorce coaching that can actually step you through this. Um, If you're not ready for a divorce coach um, but you're trying to negotiate your financial settlement, get a financial advisor involved. There are so many fantastic financial advisors out there. I'll put myself in the category, but there's so many out there in this network that will be able to help you work through those numbers. But the most important thing is to remember that you are 50% of this relationship. If your ex is going to be sending you abusive messages and abusive text messages, that doesn't mean that's the way you have to respond. Respond in a way that you would be proud of and respond in a way that represents your 50% and hold strong to that. Mm. Yeah, unless you're in a thruple, it's two people, 50-50. Yes, thanks for the <laughs> clarification there. <laughs> unless you live in, what is it, um, Idaho or somewhere like that? Where is it? Yeah. Um, oh, there's a few states in America, I think, yeah. but it's, um, yeah. Yeah, unless there's 15 sister wives, it's 50-50, everyone. Yes, Now, we'll put a link in the show notes to your website. Um, So just talk to us about um, your business and maybe the Facebook group that you mentioned if people were interested in. And this is the whole thing. It's like we know as humans if something is bubbling away and may need a change at some point, it might just be handy to get people in your world now. Yeah, absolutely. Look, for people to find me, um, it's easy. You can just go to leapfroglife.com.au and that's got all of my details on there, details around the divorce coaching and also divorce financial planning. Um, I'm working on a new website at the moment, which will be navigateyourdivorce.com, which is going to be designed to provide for both men and also women. Um, because one thing that I know for certain is that it isn't just women that need divorce coaches. Um, it is men as well. If both parties of the couple have got the right advice, the right support, it's going to be a much more successful outcome in the divorce. Um, for the last five years, though, I have had a Facebook group called Tall Poppy Woman, um, and that's um, one of the most active divorce groups in Australia. Um, And it's an amazing community of women there who are um, supportive, sharing their stories, sharing their, um, if you're facing a challenge right now, you can share where you're at. And yes, I can jump in there as a divorce coach and and share some ideas, but you'll also hear some from real life experiences of other women going through that. So lots of ways you can get in contact with me. Um, But as I said, this is not just a space for women needing help. This is something where both men and women need to be credible clients and need to remember that, yes, there's a lot of emotion in divorce, but if we can focus on the business of divorce, it will be a better outcome for everybody. And when you uh, engage with a client, um, do you have different packages for the level of need? Yeah, absolutely. So for divorce coaching, it's really simple. 
Um, you can either do a one, three or six session package. Most of the time clients continue beyond that. But I get the fact that when you're facing divorce, the last thing you want to do is commit yourself to three months or six months or 12 months working with someone. You just want to see. And it's important that there's a really good fit there. You can click online and have a 30 minute consultation with me for free before we even start that so we can get to know each other. Um, And if I don't think I'm the right fit or you want a recommendation to another coach or advisor, happy to do so. I've got a list of really trusted people as well. Um, And if it is financial planning, then we'll talk through, well, what is the divorce financial planning that you need? What's the support? Is it just help working out the financial negotiations or is it more about building out that life post-divorce? Yeah, love it. Dominique, thank you so much for joining us on My Millennial Money. We'll get you back Maybe next year we'll do it all again because um, things change and we get a whole heap of new listeners. So it's good to have someone like you in our world. Amazing. Thanks for having me, Glenn. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.